enjoy the show. Beaming at you from the depths of the internet. This is the Temple of Geek Podcast, your one stop for all things geek. All things geek. Welcome to the Temple of Geek Podcast. My name is Monica, and I will be your host as we discuss the series finale of The Expanse. If you haven't caught up on this season, you may want to save this episode and tune in later because there will be spoilers. If this is your first time tuning into the Temple of Geek Podcast, welcome. The Temple of Geek Podcast has been around since 2012 and is hosted by a variety of geeky people from the Temple of Geek team. Here we cover all manner of geek and pop culture, news, and events. To our returning listeners, thank you again for tuning in. We really appreciate you being here. With me today is Temple of Geek writer and contributor, Chrissy. Welcome to the podcast. Can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about yourself? Hi, I am Chrissy. I am from Germany and I am a cosplayer and fan of uh, many, many good TV shows and book series. And I've been writing for Temple of Geek for a couple of years now, I think. And... I think it kind of started with the expense a little bit. Yeah, it you know, it's funny because I didn't even know what the expanse was until you and I, I think it was right when Game of Thrones ended. And I think we were sad about the show ending and a little bit about how it ended and we were talking about it and then you told me, you know, go watch the expanse. It's like Game of Thrones in space. You're going to love it. And then I went down a rabbit hole and I absolutely loved it. And you were right. Um, I just, I loved it. So thank you for introducing me to The Expanse. You're welcome. I, I always like to spread the word. I actually found it on Netflix while I was still on Netflix. And Netflix kept pushing it on me. It's like, you've watched these things. You will like it. And I just kept thinking... I kept thinking, like, I have never heard of this. It can't be good. The algorithm knows you better than you know yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And one night I was so bored. I just gave in. I was like, okay, I'll just give it a go. I'll watch an episode and then I'll get over it. It's not going to be good because I've never heard of it. And I was I was hooked after one episode. So there's that. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the really sad thing about The Expanse is that I truly believe that this show is by far the best science fiction on television. I think it's some of the best science fiction writing out there in in general. And it breaks my heart that people are sleeping on this show. Like, why isn't everybody as obsessed with this as we were with, like, Game of Thrones? Because I think that, like, this show is got such quality writing and everything and it's just like why are you guys not watching on this stop sleeping on this i have no idea but i keep wondering the same thing it's it's so good it's just so good it's the my favorite book series and one of my favorite tv shows and i keep pushing it on people it's like you are into science fiction please watch this and they never do because they're like oh it's so unheard of I'm like, just do it. <laughs> and uh, so speaking about the book series, did you read the books before the television series or was it, did you find the books after watching the television series? Um, 
sort of in the middle. I found the first three seasons um, and watched them. Like, the first two were on Netflix in 2007, I think, was when I discovered it. 17. And uh, then the third season came out. And after that, it was supposed to be over. Sci-fi was not going to do anything else with The Expanse. So I wanted to know what was going to happen next. So I read the books. And obviously, the series wasn't finished then. I just uh, finished reading it last month. The last book. Awesome. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with this, The Expanse is based on the hugely popular science fiction novels by James S.A. Corey, uh, which is the pen name for Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank, who also are showrunners um, on the show. And, um, you know, originally The Expanse was on the sci-fi network and it was canceled after its third season. And then it was brought back by Prime Video as an, as an Amazon original. And so the show was saved mainly due to a grassroots like fan campaign dedicated to bringing the show back. And it worked because Amazon picked them up. And so they received um, three more seasons over on Amazon. And so now we're nearing the end of that. Um, by the time this episode airs, the show will have the series expanse will have ended. Um, but before we get into the deep dive and start talking about series six, um, what was it about the expanse that really resonated with you? I don't know if you can use the word resonate in this case, because uh, I, my, my mind was blown by the storytelling. Um, I have this thing where I can usually like guess where a story is going and you can see the plot twist coming from miles away. And The Expanse was the complete opposite. It took me by surprise so many times. I never knew what was going to happen next. I never knew what was going to blow up. And that fascinated me. I was just spellbound. I was so into this I wanted to know what was going to happen next and I never saw it coming and that was something that I hadn't really experienced before yeah I definitely have to agree with that as far as like you know not being able to predict what's going to happen next um because like a lot of you know shows follow like very similar tropes and this show I feel like has not followed like a set set of like tropes at all and it's it feels fresh and it feels new. And also it always feels like it's relatable to us, even though it's like taking place in space, like the stakes are very relatable. I just find it fascinating to imagine what humanity is going to be like in a couple of centuries. We can't know, we can't know what inventions are going to happen next. And I think this is, um, I think this could come quite close. I don't know what route uh, humanity is going to take, and I find it uh, fascinating to imagine this. So the setting overall is very interesting, but they're also still human, if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what I really find fascinating about it is that, like, I would like to say that, oh, here's hoping that we move into the future and are like Star Trek, where we've, you know gotten rid of poverty and we've gotten rid of like you know 
wars and things like that, that, you know, humanity has evolved to the point where it's accepting and inclusive of everybody. But I think that The Expanse has a much more realistic view of what our future might be like um, based on the way things are now. I absolutely agree. I don't think um, we're going to get rid of some of the bad things that are connected to humanity, like poverty. And I think... Yeah, I think the system they found for the expanse is, is really, really interesting with uh, people living on basic on Earth because uh, there just aren't enough job opportunities for the number of people living on this planet. And I, I think it's a fascinating concept. And yeah, it's it's not getting rid of poverty. Absolutely not. These people are living in poverty in a sense, because they don't have money at all. They just get the things they need to live. But it's not really a life. It's just, you know, enough to maintain them and to have them not go hungry. But it's just, it's barely that. It's not like, exactly. it's not like a real life. It's not the comforts that somebody would want. Exactly. I I would be bored out of my mind. (laughs) Absolutely. And especially... yeah, it's it's no surprise that people like um, Amos or Amos's friends turn to crime, or the the circle that Amos was in that they turn to crime just to get a little bit ahead because there's no other option for them. Absolutely, yeah, I get that, and I think the Expanse paints a really good picture of that—the way that people get stuck in these systems, you know, and in these ways of life that, you know, they just kind of are born into. Yeah. But it's, like I said, it's a fascinating concept that they have developed for how humanity could be living like in the future. Absolutely. And so now the sixth and final season of The Expanse, you know, we it picks up with the solar system at war. Marcos and Eros and his free Navy continue to launch devastating attacks on Earth and Mars. The Rosanante crew is dealing with the loss of Alex and the constant weight of war on them is, is heavy. Chris Jen continues to protect Earth um, with Bobby's help. And Drummer and what's left of her family are on the run after betraying Marco. And on a distant planet beyond the rings, a new power begins to rise. What did you think of this season's storyline and how they finished the series? Which storyline really stood out to you? Ah, difficult question. Uh, The storyline that stood out to me was um, definitely 100% Laconia. Um, I I could have watched an entire season just set on Laconia. Uh, I I have to, um, I find it difficult to really keep the TV show and book series separate in my mind, and I don't want to spoil the book series for anyone, so I'm just going to keep it vague. Um, but Laconia plays a massive role in the books seven eight and nine so setting up this plot in season six uh was definitely my favorite and i find i just 
wanted to see what Laconia looked like on the TV show. I wanted to see uh, Winston Duarte. I wanted to see um, the robot dogs. I wanted to see the planet. And I got that. It was it was great. And, you know, I feel like they set up the series so that maybe it could have a spinoff or maybe it could go into like a movie or something because I, you know, they left that whole planet thing very open. At no point do does the Rosinante crew or anybody on Earth or Mars even really talk about what's happening over there. I feel like they just set it up for like, maybe they'll come back. I feel like they left it a little unfinished. I actually wrote a little article about this particular topic because the only point of contact with Laconia was Marco Inaros because Duarte was the one who really enabled Marcos. He was the one who helped get his ships. He was the one who infiltrated the Martian Navy and eventually broke away and made a run for Laconia. And he was the one who gave all the secret technology to Marcos. And he's like his only point in contact. And at the end, Marco was hoping for Duarte's support. And I just love that Duarte cut him off. Like, no, we're closing our gate. Goodbye. Absolutely. And speaking of Marcos, who's played by the brilliant Keon Alexander, he's our resident bad guy this season. What are your thoughts on Marcos and his war and, you know, how things ended for him? Ah. <laughs> um, yeah, I absolutely hate Marco Inaros with a passion. I just hate him. I think he is an absolutely terrible guy. I mean, I I get the appeal. I get why some people say, "Oh, he's a great villain. He is amazing." Um, while hating him, obviously, because he's killed billions of people. But I don't think he is uh, the Expanse's strongest um, villain. Interesting. I just just really hate him. You know, I I really hate him. And honestly, even when I was reading the books, I found the way that he went down in the end kind of disappointing. Because he's killed billions of people on Earth. He has unleashed a war on the solar system that was so far unheard of and he did things that many 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 people thought was absolutely impossible so in some ways he is uh brilliant but he's not a big uh fan of plans he is very much into just going with what's happening and improvising in many many ways And I think that The Expand has better villains who have more thoroughly thought out plans in that way. And I just, um, the abuse storyline with Naomi and Philip um, is hard. It's tough to watch. It's, It's really tough to watch Naomi be his victim again after she managed to escape from him so many years ago. And I think Naomi's story here, that she, the past that she has with Marco is tragic. And I really, I, I, for her, I would have hoped that she would never have to face him again. Her abuser, the, the father of her child who 
really betrayed her trust and stole her child away. Um, and that way, I, I hate Marco. And he absolutely deserved to die. But uh, this, the way he went out felt a bit anticlimactic in the end, I think. Especially on the TV show. In the books, what's happening is always described as very violent, uh, very painful. And the people, even though it's happening quite quickly, the people realize what is happening. They realize they are dying, that they're being basically ripped apart into their atoms. And it didn't really come across on the TV show. So I was kind of sad that his death wasn't as violent as I would have liked it to be. He would have deserved it. Right. You wanted him to get a piece of what he did to other people, you know? And I think that's what makes Marcos, for me, I feel like that's what makes him so scary. Like the thing that you said about, um, you know, being impulsive and not caring about plans um, and also just being an abuser. He's cruel in what he does. He's charming so he can charm crowds. He can, it's easy to see why Naomi would be charmed by him. Right. And would have, you know, fallen in love with him, but he's, he's calculated in a way that, you know, it makes him really clever, but he is so emotionally unhinged and so, you know, in need of being in control and just doing whatever he wants when he wants and just hearing yes, sir, yes, sir, kind of thing, that it makes him, you know, very dangerous. People with that kind of insecurity, people with that kind of need become very dangerous. And obviously we see that with, you know, the wars that he started and he just doesn't care about the consequence. He just wants the win right there and then. And even with his son, like we, we see that, like, it, he loves nothing more than he loves himself. Exactly. And I agree that he is absolutely dangerous as a villain, as well as um, just a person in your life. Because look at what happened to Naomi. Look at what happened, almost happened to Philip. Look at what happened to his crew. Absolutely. He is a dangerous person to be around. <laughs> And I think you mentioned in a conversation that we had had before about how heartbreaking it was for you that Naomi did not know at the end, you know, what happened to Philip. Yes. Um, Naomi spends the rest of her life thinking that she killed her son, even though he's out there. And I'm not giving up hope yet. I'm not because there is actually a collection of short stories coming out in I think March which is going to really conclude the expand series and there is um one novella or short story I don't know which one yet um that hasn't been released yet and it's called the sins of our fathers now this could be about anyone <laughs> really but um I'm kind of hoping that um it will focus on Teresa Duarte and Philip um, I'm I'm hoping that it, Philip is going to be included because I think Naomi really deserves to at least know that Philip is alive. I, I, I'm not even asking for them to have a relationship because I realize it's difficult after what both of them have been through to have a relationship of any kind. But I just think she 
deserves to know that he's alive, that she didn't kill him. Right. How many times did she like save the world and save so many people? I think that's the least she deserves. Yeah. Naomi really sacrificed so much in her life. She deserves a little bit of happiness. So I am holding out on this tiny little last book that she at least gets one bit of good news. I really feel saddened that the series has ended at season six because I feel like there's all so much more story to be told. And so I'm hoping for like some kind of a spinoff, some kind of a movie, something, because I just, I'm, I'm very sad that the show is over. <laughs> you can read the books. They're I'm right going there. to read the books. <laughs> Thanks to you. I've read the first one and um, yeah. I definitely, but, you know, I still want to see it played out on screen. Um, but speaking of Naomi, so Holden and Naomi, who are played by Stephen Strait and Dominique Tipper, have uh, a lot of things getting in the way of their happiness. And especially like, you know, even though things work out at the end of the season, I don't think they really got a happy ending. <laughs> Obviously, Naomi <laughs> has to live with, you know, the thought that, her ex literally unleashed a war on the solar system and then her son died because of because of that and directly because of her um so what are your thoughts on the way things ended for holden and naomi and what they went through this this season jim and naomi deserve all the happiness in the world if i could give them something I would give them a quiet retirement together. <laughs> they they deserve it. But I think for them, the sixth season ended in a good place compared to what else could have been. You know, at least they are together. They have each other. They have what's basically left of their little rosy family and I think they're going to have many 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 happy years together um they just deserve to grow old with each other you know <laughs> there's a lot that I love about their relationship because one of the things and we talked earlier about like you know the tv tropes and not being able to figure out what's going to happen there are so many things about the way that their relationship is portrayed on screen that I haven't seen before. And I really like it. Like their love story is there. There's romance. There's there's their love story. But it's not the center plot. Like it's not the, you know, he has to go save her, even though in some situations he has had to go save her and vice versa. But like the whole storyline doesn't revolve around that. You know what I mean? I, so like, Yeah. I really like that too. And I think uh, Jim and Naomi is probably one of my favorite romances overall in everything I've ever seen or read. Uh, because um, I'm thinking about the TV show and the book series. Obviously, the TV show can't go into so much detail because they just have a screen in the books. You can use so many words. and their relationship is so intimate. They it feels so natural, and they really grew together. They they just were co-workers on the Canterbury, and the first time uh, this is a book thing. Uh, this was sadly, sadly, sadly not on a TV show. 
because in the first book, uh, Jim confesses his love to her after escaping Eros. And uh, Miller, um, Detective Miller is in the same room, just um, behind the screen, and he witnesses the whole thing. And this chapter is written from Miller's perspective, and Miller's just sitting there listening to Jim confess his feelings to Naomi, and Miller being like, Guy, don't do it. Dude, just don't do it. Don't do it. This is stupid. And it was so hilariously written because obviously Naomi um, uh, is not is not very eager to hear the I love you from Jim at this point. <laughs> but they they grew. They grew together and they fell in love. And um, like I said, they deserve a happy retirement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that I love about their relationship is just kind of like this mutual respect they have for one another. And, you know, just respect as far as like trusting each other, but also being able to like, you know, I know there's times where like, they've kept things from one another, but just when you see them actually work it out through the show and it's, there's like no toxic behaviors. It's just normal, like kind of like things that you go through and that you have to work on as a couple. And it's very clear that they care and they love each other and it's, it's, but it's very soft. And I also like that there's never like that, Oh, there's another woman or there's, you know, somebody cheated or somebody like they don't need that drama because there's enough drama going on outside of (laughs) their relationship to keep the show entertaining. And you don't need this little like kind of petty fighting in between them. Absolutely not. Um, The entire Rosie family is just very tight. Uh, They know they have to stick together. But there's another layer to uh, Jim's and Naomi's romance that is I think Jim is a both an easy and a difficult person to love for Naomi because uh, obviously he's a good guy. He is a good guy at heart. His parents really raised him right. <laughs> and he is uh, such a warm, charismatic and kind person, which makes him very easy to love. But he's also an idiot. Let's say he's an idiot. He sees danger and runs headfirst into it. And um, he sees a situation where he could potentially save humanity, even if he dies in the process. And he runs into it. He can't help himself. He does it again and again and again throughout the series. And... This is something that is not easy on Naomi because there are so many points throughout her relationship with him that she is sure she's lost him. And he keeps coming back. And it's very, very hard on her to lose Jim over and over and over again, only to be reunited with him. And um, she even said it in the book at some point um, that she wished they could just have one goodbye because they keep saying goodbye to each other because Jim has to run and save humanity and he keeps coming back and Naomi keeps having to say goodbye to him. And that's very hard on her. Though even though he is 
a great guy, probably the best you could possibly get in the entire universe. Uh, he is also that. Yeah, and I think he's definitely like a special kind of hero because he's the moral compass for everybody, right? And he always, you know, he doesn't pick a side. He never says, you know, he's from Earth, but he doesn't say like, oh, it's all about Earth. He doesn't say it's all about Mars. He like defends the belt. He's very neutral. He's, he's the kind of guy that just wants to do what's right because it's right and not because it benefits one person or the other or the team he's playing on or whatever. He's just in it to be right. And as soon as he starts feeling like he can't trust somebody or whatever, he's out. Like he needs transparency. He needs like, you know, for people to do the right thing, whatever that is, whatever the situation. And I think that's why Amos is so kind of whatever you say, Captain. And I think that's why Naomi and everybody just kind of go along with his ideas. You know, like you said, he goes head first. And it's just because they know that he would not do that unless he really believed that it was the right thing. I absolutely agree. And let's not forget that he is also a very charismatic person. Uh, he is, in that way, he is not unlike Marco Inaros. He is very charismatic. And it's it, it's not as apparent on the TV show, but in the books, uh, when he talks, um, even though it's only on paper, you want to believe what he's saying. Um, it's It's hard to explain, but you can't help but be drawn to him. And Yes, he's absolutely, um, uh, you're absolutely right. He always stands up for what he believes is the right thing to do. And I think it has a lot to do with the way he was raised on Earth. Like he was raised on a farm uh, by his eight parents. And I think they instilled a lot of uh, morality in him. It's like you have to always consider what's best for the farm, what's best for the people and for your family and i think that is um a big part of who he is yeah and it's obviously like he wouldn't have been able to get out of all the situations and get the trust of the people that he had if he wasn't charismatic so i get that and so naomi for me one of the things that i really really love about her is how smart she is you know she is never waiting around to be told what to do she's not like what should we do now you know she's the one that's like always figuring things out always has a plan she's you know an engineer and has multiple phds and doctorates and i don't know i know they mentioned it a couple times you know how intelligent she is but one those are one of the things that really stood out to me was as far as the way that they portray naomi is that they never downplay how smart she is to make James Holden look better. Like, it is very clear that Holden needs her. Yes, absolutely. They they need each other. Um, Naomi is incredibly intelligent, uh, but she hides it because she's afraid that uh, she will be used by the wrong people again. She was already smart when she was with 
Marco Inaros in the beginning, and he used her intelligence to kill people. And I think this had a great impact on her. So she doesn't go out and brag about how intelligent she is and how she can solve basically anything if she just puts her mind to it. Um, she only really comes out with her intelligence when it's really needed. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, now we have two new members of the Rossi crew. Uh, we lost Alex. And so we have, um, you know, well, one new member of the Rossi crew, I'm sorry. But we have uh, Amos and Peaches, uh, Clarissa Mao, uh, played by Nadine Nicole and Wes Chapman. And they, it's funny because um, both of them are troubled individuals from, from Earth, but they're very different in like how they live their life. Whereas we talked about like Amos was, you know, poor in the slums and had to resort to crime to survive. Whereas um, Clarissa Mao was born into wealth and privilege and never really needed to want for anything. She was a socialite. So it's kind of funny to see these two different characters be so close. What did you think of their storyline this season? And do you have any thoughts on their evolution since we first met them? First of all, we do have two new crew members. Bobby also joined at the end of oh, the season. Yeah. <laughs> but right. yeah, back to back to Peaches and Amos. Um I think this is possibly one of the best platonic relationships ever written. <laughs> um I I love them together. They are tight. They really love each other in a platonic sense because um um I think it started when they were transporting her from the behemoth, I think it was called back then. Yeah. Uh, this should have changed names so many times. <laughs> uh, yeah, after the events of the third season, obviously they transported her back to go to prison on Earth. And because it was a long trip, um, she wasn't confined to her cell. And Amos offered that uh, she could help him around the ship fix things because she had obviously the knowledge by then and she did and they just worked together in silence without talking much and they just got along. They un they understand each other without words and I think during those months traveling back to earth they struck up a friendship that is so so strong and i am i am very sad that the show ends at this point where those two are concerned because in the books that's really how their friendship starts and there's so much more to see of them and i think it shows a side of amos in the books that we haven't seen yet and it's a beautiful side and I'm sad. I, I hope that they continue it at some point in some form, and, or if not, that people will just read the books because um, their friendship is gold. Absolutely, and I thought them. I really thought them kind of an un unlikely pair, but they're. I 
one, I like that they kept their relationship platonic and that they didn't force some kind of romance on them. Um, I love that. I love that they're just friends and just people that really care about one another. Um, but I think that Amos has this history of like becoming close with people. Obviously, he's close with the Rosanante crew, but there, you know, so it's like he's close with very extraordinary people. And then there is his friend. Um, oh, and I forget his name. The one from season three with the little girl. Is it Prax? Prax. Yes. yes. Okay. So Prax. Yeah. Um, you know, his friendship with Prax literally is one of my favorite storylines in the expanse. I watch seasons two and three over and over because in my opinion, those are the two best seasons of television of all time. I can watch that. I absolutely agree. (laughs) Oh, I just think they're just beautiful. And I watch them all the time, those two seasons over and over. His relationship with Prax is also very beautiful in that way, where it's just like this love and respect for one another. And this like, you know, and I was so happy to see the cameo of like Prax in, you know, in season six. Um, But I just think that speaks a lot about who Amos really is, because he keeps becoming friends with these pretty extraordinary people. And so I feel like, you know, like you said, I wish they would have shown more of him because there's a lot about his life that I wish we would have seen. But I just really think that he is a really amazing character. And I love I, I love seeing the evolution of Amos. I love that he went from being very logical and self-serving to being even now like very logical and just all about his community and his like tribe you know yeah uh the thing about amos is also that he is incredibly protected of children if he sees a child in trouble he is going to help and that was the case when um prax was looking for may and he it's because of his past i also wrote an article about this and yes you did on temple of giga i'll link it in the show notes um and he is just incredibly protective of kids because obviously he was abused as a child and his friends were abused as children so uh he is incredibly protective of those who can't protect themselves and i think in this case prax to him is a child because he can't stand up for what he wants what he needs and he needs to find his child and this is not something Prax can do on his own so I think in this case Prax is sort of like a child to Amos something someone that needs to be protected oh that's so interesting that makes me think of and I can't think of her name but she was the reverend that was on the behemoth from earth yeah um Anna uh, Anna. Anna, yes. Uh, it makes me think of her because there's a point where she's telling him, we have to do what's right. We have to, you know, we have to help these people. And he looks at her and he's like, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Yes. Uh, their friendship was also beautiful. I think, I think even, even possibly more so in the books. It's been so long since I read book three. So, um, sorry. Forgive me if I don't get the details just right, but um, I, I I remember it to be very very nice in the books too. 
And so then we also mentioned Bobby joined the Rosanante. And to me, I kind of always feel like she's part of the crew because she's been on board so often. But technically, you're <laughs> right. She doesn't really join the crew until this season. Um, so I know that she's one of your favorites. Tell me everything you think. Dish on Bobby. Uh, dish on Bobby. Uh, I love her. Um, Is she your favorite favorite? Ah, it's it's really hard to pick a favorite favorite in this incredible series. Like the last book I read, like the the ninth book, I suddenly had a new favorite character. <laughs> um, but uh, Bobby is definitely among the top three. And to say it uh, with Alex's words, she's like a fucking Valkyrie. <laughs> Okay, that quote, it wasn't um, a perfect quote. Like, I changed it a little bit. He said, like a fucking Valkyrie. Um, and I think this sums up Bobby. I have so many feelings about her. <laughs> what did you think about her this season? Um, good, good question. I, I don't think I can really, really answer that. I think Bobby, to me, is just Bobby. She grew from this brat, like she was a brat while she was uh, a Martian Marine. I didn't like her at first, but as soon as she lost her team and started to question her authorities, she really grew on me so much. And I think for her ever since then, it's been a journey to fight for what is right, to first figure out what is the right thing to do and then fight for it. Because she wasn't sure. She was taught to believe that the Martian way is the way. And during her life, she realized that that was not true, that the Martians aren't always right, that the Martians aren't the best, that it's just humans all over the solar system. And... I think she learned that lesson the hard way. And I think ever since it's been a journey for her. And she's a fighter, obviously. She is a fighter. That's uh, what she does best. And I think she's always looking for the next fight and try to make the world a better place. At great cost, too, because, you know, she had, you know, she was a, you know, uh, she had a job, she was a Marine, she had a life, she had a family, she had everything. So running to Earth, you know, when she went to seek asylum and, you know, not being on her planet anymore. I mean, she's lost a lot, you know, and, you know, obviously this, I don't think she took any of that lightly. I think that weighed very heavy on her. And even if you always wanted to see Mars terraformed and wanted to see Earth, it's still not your home. It's not where you grew up. And, you know, now she's in space. And I think she's kind of like in limbo. And she spent a lot of time just not knowing where she was. And then finally, like on the Rosie crew, here she is, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think she gave up on the Martian dream sometime during season four when she really started to look behind the scenes um, and 
found so many things going wrong with Mars, found so many people are losing their faith. No, I think it was the fifth season, sorry. Um, what was I, I don't remember which season it was, I'm sorry. Um, but it was when people were making their way to the new solar systems, trying to find new planets that were already that already had an atmosphere. Uh, so people were making a run for it. And it's like, why do we need to terraform Mars if there are ready-made planets out there? And I think she clung to the Martian dream for very, very long until she realized that it wasn't going to happen, that she wasn't going to see uh, the Martian dream come true in her lifetime. And I think that was really when she... I think also when she realized that um, Winston Duarte had taken so much of the Martian fleet and just made a run for the New Worlds, that was, I think, what really contributed to her losing faith in Mars. And luckily for her, she found the Rosie crew and they just became a family. And these are the people who share her morals, who share her eagerness to fight for what's right. And I, with them, she found her place again. But it's been a long journey for her. Absolutely, I agree. And, um, you know, another member of the Rossi crew, who's not really a member of the Rossi crew, but, you know, obviously is very close to them, is Drummer, played by uh, Kara G. And um, she's probably, it's very hard to pick, but Kara is definitely one of my top two favorite um, Kamina Drummer, top two favorite characters on the show. And I think she's the person who arguably has lost the most when it, especially in the, you know, in this whole, in the television series, I feel like she's the one who has lost the most. Um, but she does come up on top this season. So what are your thoughts on Kamina and what happened to her on season six? <laughs> I have to admit, when I was watching the last episode and Holden was accepting to lead the transport union. I was staring at the screen. I was like, are you, are you insane, mate? Uh, you can't do this. And because I read the books, I know where this is going. But that part where Holden is accepting this part was not something that was in the books. So I was like, dude, what are you doing? And then he just passed it on to uh drama and i was like okay okay that was good nice trick <laughs> you fooled me um yeah i think um yeah she she became president of the transport union for sure uh just um i don't know if <laughs> she's going to be happy with that um i think it's gonna be uh, the bumpy ride I mean, I can only just say because I've, I've read the books, I know what her role on the Transport Union is and what's going to happen. So uh, I don't think she's going to be very grateful for this. Um, well, it's I, a huge responsibility, she, I'm sure. And it's a big mess, the universe right now. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, in the books, the Transport Union functioned 
perfectly for at least 30 years. So um, th that's good for her. But uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm still sad she couldn't stay with her family, that her family broke apart the way it did. But she is like Bobby, like Jim, like Amos. She has to fight for what she thinks is right. And she had nothing but bad choices throughout her life, I think. And I'm sad that she could not find peace and quiet with her family. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think about like, you know, how she came up and, you know, working for Fred Johnson and then losing Fred Johnson, losing Ashford, losing, you know, so like, for, I feel like for her, it was constant loss, loss, loss. And not only loss of people, but loss of like a job, stability, everything, you know, and then she's on the run from Marcos and his people and just you know, trying to survive, but also like, you know what, we need to save all these people. And I think a lot of my favorite moments this season um, came from her. So like when she takes the supplies to, um, oh, what is the capital called? I draw a blank. Well, you know, to the people that Marcos left stranded, that was supposed to be their capital city. And she shows up with supplies that she stole from Marcos and, you know, <laughs> Um, you know, yeah. she's just, like you said, she's always doing what's right. Like Holden, like Bobby, she's always like drawn to that, even at great cost to her. And for her, I feel like everything is like, you know, impossible choices and just, you know, loss for her. But there's a scene where, you know, she's waiting in line to get through like the, uh, you know, the check-in or to be registered. And because she's, Kamina Drummer, they try to leave her in. She goes, no, I'm going to wait in line. And a man in line tells her, you have bigger things to deal with. Go. You know, and like yeah. that, that moment like really stuck with me, you know, because she was still trying to humble herself, just be like everybody else. But everyone around them is seeing that she is so much more, you know what I mean? And she has yeah. real purpose. Um, and so I feel like every scene with Drummer for me was heartbreak after heartbreak. And I just, uh, it just, everything kills me for her. And like how you said with Naomi, you just want her to be happy. I just want Kamina Drummer to be happy. Like, why must she suffer <laughs> so much? Yeah, I think this is a common theme with the Expanse characters uh, that hardly anyone ends up where they should be according to fans yeah <laughs> I, I think this this um happens a lot throughout the series and i what i loved with uh kamina this season was when she faced christian avasarala yes let's talk that about was... that because Kristen and Christian and you know Kamina are my definitely my two favorites. I live for them, and to see them together, oh my goodness, what a moment! It's like uh, two very dangerous wild cats meeting each other in a forest somewhere. 
And you're like, this could go well or not. Or not. And it's so it it's so interesting because, you know, I it didn't really hit me that they had never met because why would they have met? You know, they're you know, it it when you saw them together, I was just like, Wow, oh my gosh, like this is intense. And you know, also just the um like when they're arguing at the table and how Kamina holds her own and how Kamina just kind of against Christian, who usually, you know, is like the authority, the main person in charge, the person who, you know, just has the most brain power in any political situation. And to see Kamina just, you know, keeping her own and not backing down and not bending to her or anybody was really impressive to see just like, these two strong female characters really like, you know, playing to get, you know, to stay on top, you know, and not even to stay on top, just to get their fair share, you know? Yeah. And um, I agree. It's, it's amazing. And they do meet in a book, in the books under different circumstances. And it's the same. It's like, Kamina is one of the few people who is not intimidated by Avasarala. She is not impressed. She, but for Kamina, she is just another Ursa and completely irrelevant to her. But they have to work together to achieve a common goal, in this case, to beat Marcus, uh, Marco and Aras. And um, they know that they have to work together, but they really don't want to, really. They would prefer to not have to work together, but um, they have to find a way that makes it work for everyone. And I think it's watching them try to compromise and come to an agreement is very tense. Yeah, and also, you know, one of the big issues that I had with Game of Thrones, and I think you and I talked about this years ago, was that you had so many strong female, you know, characters in political situations. You had Sansa Stark, you had um, uh, Cersei, and you had Daenerys, right? And in the end, they were the people who it made the most sense for them to be in charge, whether it was Cersei because she's so smart and evil or Sansa because she was able to help her people or just Daenerys because she had charisma and charm and was able to, you know, rally these armies around, right? You had these amazing, strong women who at the end don't end up ruling, right? Uh, excuse so- me, my my favorite character does end up ruling. Queen Sansa is amazing. <laughs> she rules in the north, that's true. Yeah. But, you know, I just meant, like, as a whole, you know? And so that was one of my big problems with Game of Thrones, was that you gave us these amazing, like, female characters, and then kind of, like, was like, oh, well, we're going to do this just side character now is going to be in charge of everything, which was, like, so weird to me. But in The Expanse, you have so many wonderful, like, complex female characters and political, politically strong female characters that do end up on top at the end of the series where, you know, they're each, you know, 
in charge of their respective planet areas, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I love that. It's one of the most satisfying things to me with how the series ended. That is true. Um, there are so many great female characters on the spans. Um, it, it's hard to pick a favorite, really. <laughs> Although, if I really had to, I would pick Bobby. But yeah, <laughs> they are in—they uh, are in charge. They are holding their own. They are. They go for it, you know, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and it's, I... not, it's, it's not even just uh, people in charge, like in political positions. There's also people like Naomi who are just incredibly intelligent and save the world with their wits. And then there's people like Bobby who are just muscle. They are fighters. And um, Bobby is one of the best fighters in the solar system and beyond there is i don't know if there's anyone who could beat her and that's what makes this series to me there's there's a lot of things that make this series like that impresses me about the series and that it makes me think it's my favorite show right it's just the so many different complex female characters like you said Bobby's a fighter, there's political ones, there's women like Naomi. There's also like the journalist, Monica. Um, she was very annoying to me. The first season that we get her, I think it's season two, maybe season three. And she's annoying to me. Three. But by the end of, you know, the series, she's, she's also like so great and I've become fond of her. And, you know, her storyline is simple. She's a journalist, but, you know, her moral compass is clean. And she's, you know, she's very impressive in what what she can do, how she can convince people, you know, and her work. You know, she's very passionate what she does. And she's she's great. And then, I don't know, I just, there's a list of so many women on the show that I was just yeah. completely impressed with. And, and also... Yes. We're forgetting Elvie. Yeah. I love her so much. And I think the show did her dirty a bit because she is such a relatable and fantastic character in the books. And she is so human. And I am so sad that the the show didn't really do her justice. I mean, they cut a part of her uh character arc that many people found not so good um but I personally loved it <laughs> and she plays a bigger role later on in the books and I I love her character she is so human to me I love that and then um now that we're talking about you know them doing her dirty on the show uh was there anything about the books that you wish had happened in the series yes the last three books <laughs> From the ones that you know are correlated to these so silly <laughs> no really um 
I, the, the story arc from the last three books is my favorite story arc in the book series. Oh no! I, I feel like, like especially, I love um book seven and eight. Nine was um I don't know. I I have uh I don't want to spoil it. So um there are things I liked and things I didn't like, and but the storyline that is set into motion in book seven is mind-blowing again and I am so so sad that we're not going to see it on tv and well I think we need another campaign to bring it back (laughs) yeah we definitely do it's just so good and it's so unexpected and it's so unlike what was before like we've had so many different story arcs over the six seasons we had the protomolecule mystery we had uh, the war between Earth and Mars. We had the discovery of uh, the Ring Gates, the discovery of uh, Illus and the other new systems. We had Marco Inaros and his fellow terrorists trying to destroy the Earth. And what comes after is different yet. It's something else entirely. And I'm sad that I don't get to see it. I mean, I got to read it, but I also want to see it. Absolutely. I get that. Uh, I There was something that was interesting because I didn't read the first book until after having watched the first series. And, you know, I understood uh, Miller's obsession with finding Julie in the first season when I watched the show. But it wasn't until I read the first book that I realized why he was so, you know, obsessed with finding Julie and how, you know, important Julie was to him. And not in the sense that he they had met before or anything like that, but just that, like, you know, through his investigation of Julie and trying to find him, just like the conversations he has in his head with her and there's so much more insight in the books that obviously won't translate to to TV or they can't fit in. But the relationship between, you know, Miller and trying to find Julie, it was so much more intense for me in the book. And so rewatching it now when I've on my rewatches of the series, I I feel a deeper connection for Miller and Julie that I didn't have on my first watch of The Expanse. I I absolutely agree that um, it was way more intense in the books because you get to know Miller before the entire thing kicks off and you get to know him as this really sad individual who's basically given up on life. His wife left him. He's been drinking of sorts. Like I, I think it was mentioned that she left him because he was drinking. And he doesn't enjoy his work he basically just exists he doesn't really live and uh then he gets hired to find julie and the more he finds out about her the more he really falls in love and she gives him hope and that is and what he gives him a purpose and that's something he hasn't had in a very long time and 
it's amazing to watch his transformation on the pages to go from like this really sad, hopeless individual to a guy who sacrifices himself to save humanity because that is what Julie would have done. That is what Julie would have wanted. That is what Julie stood for. She was an Earther and she gave up her title, her money, her racing pinners, everything she had, she gave up to fight for basically basic human rights for Belters. And I think uh, while he found out these things about her, he really fell in love with her. And outside of her, his life had no meaning. And that is why he sacrificed himself in the end. And he did in the book. Uh, on the show, it makes it seem like it was an accident, that he only happened to be the last one left um, on the station. Uh, that he basically told, um, what was the, the guy's name? The, in, the annoying one. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know who Drago? I mean. Oh, I can't remember his name. Diogo. I think it was Diogo. Diogo. Yeah. 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 Um, he basically told him to go and live his life because he, like, he's a young guy and he stayed behind. But in the books, he always had the intention. He always knew that he was going to die on Eros. He has known from the beginning. He was not going to leave. And I, I am, I, the, the scenes always make me cry on the TV show when, when Miller is, meets Julie for the very first time and takes off his helmet and lets the protomolecule take him. They always make me cry. This is such a beautiful scene because at that moment, his, his life had served his pur its purpose for him and he has saved humanity and it was an incredible journey to read and to watch but even more so to read agreed yeah and I think that obviously you know in the books we don't have all the characters that we have on the television series and so I know that we can't the book can go into so much more detail than the television series will ever have so I get that and I'm not knocking the show because I think the show is great it's my favorite uh, but it is too bad that we don't see those other like small nuances that you know make a difference in how we interpret things that is true and yeah the show made some very big changes um one of them being uh I keep forgetting that because I've rewatched the TV show so many times, but I've only read the first three books once, I think, or twice, and it's been a while. And I keep forgetting that it was um, Jim who went on the um, Agatha King to blow it up, and he wanted to sacrifice himself. I keep thinking that it was um, Courtyard, like it was on the show, like they made so many small changes that I keep mixing things up. I but, love um, Ochar so much. Yeah. Oh, what a great character. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they made some changes uh, that I wish they wouldn't have. Like I said, like Elvie um, in the fourth season. 
or the fourth book. Because in the book, um, she fell in love with James, James Holden. She fell in love with him. Like, she saw him and she was immediately, like, teenager, romance, in love kind. Like, she was nervous around him. She kept trying to be close to him. And uh, she blushed. And she, she was, like, so very human. And she knew that it was silly. And at the end of the book, she found the great love of her life. Uh, and I think they are wonderful together. They make such a great couple. But her crush on James Holden made her so human in my eyes. And I am so sad that they cut this out and basically just uh, left her a science lady. There's so much more to her. Oh, I'm bummed I didn't see that. But she does sound very relatable. <laughs> yeah, because like uh, sometimes adult people can develop stupid crushes and you can't help it. And I just thought it was so relatable. And I'm so sad that they left this out. Oh, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> before we wrap up the uh, the episode, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, go watch The Expanse and go read the books. It's amazing. I think the main thing that I want to say before we log off is go tell your friends to go watch The Expanse and maybe we can get the show back. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I haven't given up movies. hope that it's coming back. I was like, nah, they left it on a cliffhanger for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and yeah, you can read my article right. and, about this. I wrote an article about yeah, the things they left open. Uh, you can find that on templeofgeek.com. <laughs> and then also, uh, can you tell people where to find you on social media? Um, yeah, I am on Instagram and TikTok as chrissy.cosplays. Excellent. All right. Well, this is going to wrap up this episode of the Temple of Geek podcast. We want to thank everyone who tuned in today and especially our guest, Christy, for being with us today. Thank you so much for being here today, Chrissy. It was so much fun. I loved it. Yay. Um, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up on Facebook or Twitter using the handle at Temple of Geek. Do you want to check out some of our other episodes or shows? Why don't you head on over to templeofgeek.com? There you will find all sorts of content that pertains to the world of geek. Please follow us on Twitter at Temple of Geek. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash templeofgeek. And remember to visit templeofgeek.com. Your one stop for all things geek. Goodbye. This will conclude our transmission.